You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. So as we get ready to dive into our passage tonight, before I pray, I'd like to just mention too, we've been doing the best we can to bring in new members, which means that you've got to go sit down and go through a seminar day and a study day, and then you've got to go home with some homework, listen to some messages, fill out application, covenant, all those things. And Angel here in the back, everybody just kind of look back at Angel. There's Angel there. Angel went through the study just recently, and um, she uh, sat down with uh, myself and a couple of other of our leaders this afternoon, uh, a couple of the guys from our shepherding team, Eric and uh, Dave, and uh, we just sat and we just talked about the gospel. We, just, we talked about Jesus, and we talked about her story and her life. We're going to just formally welcome her into church membership um, this evening. But I also want to tell you a little bit about her, um, in case you don't know her. Um, so Angel grew up in a Salvation Army church in the Omaha area from the age of 2 to 10, and then from the age of like 10 to like 18 or so, was studying uh, Native American culture because that's part of her background and part of her family upbringing and just part of her family roots. And so did a lot of study in that way. And then for just for a long time was not part of a church family. She walks in here back in February of this year. So count that just a couple months ago, walks in here, finds a place that she feels like she can call family and call home. But then the entire time just kind of wrestling, like, am I following Jesus or am I not following Jesus? Like, I kind of like the church. It's kind of cool. There's, there's some good people here. I feel welcome here, but I don't know about Jesus. And this is basically what she said to us in our elder interview this afternoon, and that's why I want to share it. About four weeks ago, one of the things that you guys know we do at the end of the service is we really challenge people with communion. And we, just, we, we simply say, if you're here and you're not a believer, don't take communion because communion, communion is symbolic of something you must believe first, which is the message of the gospel that Christ's body was broken and blood was shed for you. And so if you're here and you're about to do that, you've got to wrestle with what you really believe. Do you really believe in Jesus or do you not? And if you don't, it's okay. We're glad you're here. So she's been here and been hearing that message every Sunday since February and just been standing in the back like, I ain't taking communion then because I'm not sure I'm believing. But then about four weeks ago, something happened inside of her where she, this is your words if I remember right, was that you realized that Jesus is the king of all kings, right? So somebody, like that's, that's to be celebrated, right? That's to be celebrated because that's what we as a church family are about. Because we want to see people come to Christ and be able to wrestle through what does it mean to follow Jesus and what does it mean to surrender to him even to the, for the first time. And so we just want to welcome you in the church membership. And, and as we do that, I just want to say too, like she's got some really cool giftings and some wirings um, that God's given her. Um, she's going to be serving in our media department back here, helping to push sliders, um, soundboard and PowerPoint and so on and so forth. And, I, and and from our conversation this afternoon, she's really excited about this fall when we kick off some of the Porterbrook and discipleship school and stuff like that to help her grow in the way that she understands the gospel and follows her Savior, Jesus. And so, so as I pray for her and as I pray for our text, so there's just be a few of you that are around her right now that are close to her. If you would just get up and go and just lay your hands on her as we pray, you can go ahead and move now. Don't sit there and stare at me. You've got to get up and you've got to move. Go and lay your hands on her as we pray and just welcome her in to the family formally and officially. Okay, are we good? If you're not near her and you don't want to get out of your seats, and everybody just turn around and just set your hand out there, all Pentecostal-like, and pretend like you got radiant light beams coming out of your hand, and it's a good thing, okay? Let me pray. Jesus, thank you 
Father, it is so good to hear stories of people beginning to follow you. Lord, thank you for um, just putting together a church family here that um, is giving space for people to wrestle with the gospel and to wrestle with what it means to follow you. Lord, I do pray for Angel as we welcome her into formal membership. God, I pray for her heart and her mind, Lord, that you would continue to set her free from sin that has held her in bondage. I pray, God, that you would continue to change her life and help her to reflect and mirror you to the world around her. I pray, God, for her friends and her family as she interacts with them, Lord, that you would um, just give her a supernatural um, a just filling of your spirit and give her the strength and the power to relate to others in love and to live at peace with other people. So, God, I pray that you would do that, and I pray, God, that that would be the evidence of the gospel at work in her. I pray, God, that that would be the evidence of her looking to the cross and looking to her king, Jesus, who has saved her. I pray that you would continue to change her. So, God, thank you for her. Thank you for her willingness to be here, and thank you for the story that uh, that she shares that is now a part of our church family story. So, guys, pray that for Angel, and we just thank you for for giving her to us as a church family. Um, Lord, I also just lift up the scriptures as I begin to preach here in a minute, God, and just ask that you would speak powerfully in our midst. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen, amen. All right, amen. So, Luke chapter 17, as I spill water all over myself. Okay. We're off to a good start. Shush, Tyler. <laughs> what you guys don't know is I got to spend a whole weekend with Tyler last weekend, and um, I'm still alive, so. <laughs> so is he. <laughs> so is he. <laughs> Tyler just doesn't know that I slip sleeping pills in every drink I had. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I think Tyler got less sleep than I did, actually. Luke 17, we're going to be in verses uh, 7 through 19 here in just a few minutes. I want to kind of open and introduce kind of our way into this by just asking this question first. How do you come to Christ? How do you come to Christ? How do we come to Christ? What does it look like for us to come to him and to follow him and to be his disciples and to love him and be saved by him and be changed by him? What does it look like for us to come to Christ? The reality about Jesus all throughout the scriptures is that he says some really difficult things. He says some really hard things. He says some things that are really hard for us to swallow at times. He doesn't gloss things over. He doesn't paint a picture of this easy-peasy faith for us. Instead, when Jesus calls us to be his disciples, he invites us into a journey of suffering, right? He invites us into a journey of suffering as he hands us a cross, which is an instrument of torture, like, I don't want any of us here to be mistaken as we think about what it means to come and follow Jesus. It has nothing to do with your comfort. It has nothing to do with your likes or your dislikes. It has everything to do with picking up a cross and carrying it. To like try that one on for an invitation to join the church family. Like the message of the gospel is a message that invites us into lifelong suffering. Yet, at the same time, to follow Christ is also to follow him and find true joy, true happiness, true satisfaction in the gospel. 
Like to follow him, to actually follow Jesus, to be a Christian and to be his disciples is to serve him who served us so well through the suffering of his cross on our behalf. Like Jesus did this on our behalf. The call to follow Christ, the call to come to him is actually a call to serve him because he has served us in the cross so that we could be healed, so that we could be made whole again, so that we could be made healthy. This is the message of the gospel, so that we could be set free. The message of the gospel reminds us that we, as we follow him, as we come to him, are to no longer be enslaved to sin, but instead, instead we're to be slaves or servants of Christ himself. Jesus offers us all we could ever need in his life, his death, his resurrection, his glorification. And then his soon imminent return. I mean, the reality is that Jesus came and he died and he went into a grave and then he beat death. There's no other God that has done that. None. There's no other quote unquote God that has done that. Only Jesus has done that. That's why we say he is the king of kings, right? That's why we say that. Because he died and was resurrected. He beat death. And then he returned to the right hand of the Father. And at some point, he's going to come back to take his family home with him to be in the presence of our Father who is the completion of love. The question for us, though, is how do we come to Christ? How do we come to him? Do we, do we come to him as servants? Do we, do we come to him as people in need? Do we, do we come to Jesus as people who actually trust in him? And what does that mean? What does it mean to serve him? What does it mean to come to him and trust him? What does it mean to come to Jesus in need of him? Luke 17, verses 7 through 19 Jesus starts by saying this. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterwards, you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The first thing that I notice about this text is this, that when we come to Jesus, we must come to him as his servants. When we come to him, we must come to him as his servants. Ask yourself this question, what what stops you from coming to Christ as a servant? 
So the reality about servants is that servants don't believe they are entitled to anything. Servants don't elevate their desires above the desires of their masters. Servants don't practice prideful disobedience. Can you imagine a spouse who lives with the sense of entitlement? She owes me or he owes me. Can you imagine what that atmosphere must be like in a marriage? Can you imagine a friend who can't get their eyes off their own needs long enough to care for someone else's needs? Can you imagine an employee who continues to ignore their boss's direction? Like these three problems of entitlement, number one, self-centeredness, number two, and prideful disobedience, these are like barriers to us actually coming authentically to Christ. These hold us back from coming to him and from growing in the grace of the gospel and the grace of the message of Jesus. They're like walls built deep within the interiors and the corridors of our hearts that stop us from coming authentically to him. When we come to Christ, we must come to him as servants. Serving Christ means this. Serving Christ means that we must work hard. We must be ready and willing to work hard. Now, now this is not about working hard so that you can earn or gain God's love. We work from the opposite place. Many of us are used to working for something. We're used to working for a paycheck, right? We're used to doing everything we can to get the attention or to get the things we want. We're used to performing. So when I talk about hard work, I'm not talking about the sinful kind of performance that every one of us gets stuck in from time to time. When I'm talking about working hard, I'm talking about the opposite of thinking that God owes us something. Talking about the opposite of thinking that God owes us something. So if you and I live our lives believing that God owes us something, then the only work we will actually do is not hard work. It'll be fake work and lazy work because it'll be self-focused on ourselves. The only reason we will do the things that God asks us to do and commands us to do is to try to gain his love, gain his affection, get more grace and get more mercy. And the reality is, is we are called to live from the opposite end of that. We are to be receivers already of grace and mercy. You can't earn grace and mercy. You can't earn God's love. So when I talk about working hard, I'm simply talking about not working out of a sense of entitlement. Jesus says this, says, will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he's come in from the field, come at once and recline at table. Jesus asks this question. It's it's like a rhetorical question. It's a rhetorical question that's meant to remind us that we are not entitled to anything other than a life that is characterized by the hard work of a servant who's been served so well by the cross of Christ. That's why he asked this question. He's trying to get the attention of his disciples. Like if you and I truly set our focus upon Christ and his work at the cross, we won't be compelled to work from a place of entitlement. Like, God, you owe me something. I deserve to get this. And now I'm pissed at you, God, because you didn't give me what I want. The reality is is that if we come to Christ and set our focus upon him and his work at the cross, then we will be compelled to serve him by working hard instead of believing that we deserve more. 
Or we'd be compelled to work hard instead of believing that we are owed something. Like, what more could we want? Ask yourself, what, what more could you want anyways? What more could you want than a Savior who gave his life willingly on your behalf? What more could you want? This is what stops us from serving him, from coming to him as a servant. It's thinking that, that we deserve more than we actually do. It's not just about serving Christ in the way that we work hard, but it's also about putting Christ first. And the enemy of Christ's centeredness is self-centeredness. You think about it. The opposite of Christ-centeredness, Jesus-centeredness, Jesus-focus is a severe self-focus upon one's self. Jesus describes what it looks like to be a servant who puts his master first when he says this. He says, will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterwards, you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because of what he was commanded? Because he does what was commanded. Again, Jesus is asking like all these rhetorical questions that are meant to remind us that serving Christ isn't about what we get out of it. It's not about a paycheck. It's not about an easier life. It's not about getting accolades. It's not about us. It's about Christ. Following Christ and serving Christ is about Christ. So the problem with many of us is that when we open the scriptures, we have a tendency to believe that the scriptures are written about us, but they're not. They're written about Christ. Christ is the center message of the scriptures. And for those of you that are here and you say you follow Christ, then the reality is that God calls us to serve Christ by putting him first. Jesus doesn't have any needs. Jesus doesn't need us to do anything for him. He is complete in and of himself. The story that Jesus is sharing is meant to help us become servants of Christ by putting him first. And listen, putting Christ first is about dying. It's about dying to yourself. Christ came and died at the cross for you and I. Us selfish people, us self-centered people, us self-focused people. He died for us, and while he was dying, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Why did he say that? So that you and I as husbands or wives or brothers or sisters or friends or church family members could simply say, even when I feel like I'm being taken advantage of and when I, am, when I am being turned back to focus on myself, I can yet again look at the Savior that I claim to follow and I can say, it's not about me, it's about you. It's not about me, it's about, it's about you, Jesus. Like, it's about, it's about Jesus in our marriages. It's about Jesus in our church family. It's about Jesus in our friendships. It's about Jesus in our families at home. It's about nothing more than Jesus. Why would you want to serve yourself anyways? Would you pay the price for your sin for yourself? Only Christ can pay that price. You and I could not pay that price. He willingly did it so that we could be saved. Christ came and died willingly so that you and I could be saved from the penalty of our self-centeredness. So why would we want to live self-centered anymore? Wouldn't that just wear you out anyways? 
came and died so that we could be saved and then employed in the service of the king as servants who put him first. Serving Christ is about putting Jesus first. Not just that, but it's also about being humbly obedient. The opposite of humble obedience is prideful disobedience. Jesus makes this point when he says, When you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Listen, when you, when you do what God commands you to do, and your pride wells up within you because someone else isn't doing what they should do, then aren't you just being really proud of yourself anyways? Aren't you just being proud of yourself for what you did and then therefore being disobedient? And why would we stake anything on any of our obedient actions when we know that in the next moment we could be disobedient? The point is this. We must humbly obey the Lord. We must humbly obey what the Lord asks of us as we seek to serve him because in the picture of the cross of Christ and his perfect obedience to the Father's gift of grace on, on our behalf, like our obedience looks like mere duties to be performed in the face of what Christ did. We can't out-obey the obedience of Christ we can't out-obey the performance of others. We can only serve Christ by humbly obeying Him. This is what it means to serve Christ. To serve Christ means that we must humbly obey Him. Have you come to Christ as a humble servant? Have you come to Him as His servant? Think about your job. Think about your marriage, your friendships. Are you ready to work hard to serve Christ in those areas? The reality is this. The reason that we continue to struggle in these areas of our jobs, our marriages, and our friendships, let me just let the cat out of the bag, is because you're trying to serve yourself in these areas, not serve Christ. When you serve Christ, what comes out of that is healing and wholeness. When you are serving yourself, I don't care what kind of good religious language we all put on it. Like, I read my Bible last night. I went to church last Sunday. I don't give a rip. I want to see the proof in the pudding, right? Like, I want to see the evidence in our lives. And the reason the evidence is not there is because you and I continue to serve ourselves and we are broken. That's why there's brokenness and a lack of healing in our church family. It's the reason. It's because we all struggle with self-centeredness. We struggle with disobedience, prideful arrogance. And I think that in this message, listen, this is not a message tonight of like, hey, good job, everybody. This is a message of correction for all of us here in this room. It's a message of correction, really. Like, and I think when Jesus is saying this to his disciples, it's a message of correction to them, too. How easy is it for us to begin to think that coming and following Jesus is about something that it's actually not? And then we get all the way off in la-la land, and we wonder why our lives are a wreck. It's because Jesus isn't there. Like, what I want more than anything else is for all of us to trust in him. 
Like, like the reality is when you say you come and you're, you're following Jesus, then you're trusting him to make you right and to make you whole and to make you healed and to save you. And then what happens on the point four is you're, you're always looking to the father at that point. Your vertical relationship with your father in heaven has been made right. The proof that that's actually happening in your life is in your horizontal relationships. This is just the fact of the matter in scriptures all the way through. James says it really clear. Hey, hey, why is there fighting and arguing among you? I'll tell you why. Because of all the desires deep down within you, that's what's coming out of you and controlling you. James says it clear. That's Jesus' brother. He says, what's not coming out of you is my brother Jesus. What's coming out of you is these sinful desires of self-service, prideful disobedience. That's what's coming out. That's why this is a corrective message. And listen, it's important for all of us to hear correction from the Scripture. It's important for us not to stiff arm correction from the Scripture. There's some of you that are sitting right here right now. You're already self-justifying yourself. You're already justifying yourself. You're already saying, but look what I did. But look, no, no, don't look at what you did. Look at what Jesus did. That's the point. The point is Jesus. Are you serving him? If you're coming to Christ, you've got to come to him as a servant. Are you ready to work hard to serve him? Are you ready to put him first in everything? Are you really putting him first anyways, or are you just putting yourself first? Are you ready to be Christ-centered? Like when you come to Christ, you must come to him as someone who is ready to serve him by working hard. Serve him by putting him first in all things. And then serve him humbly and obediently. Have you come to him? Have you come to Christ? That's my prayer. My prayer is that some of you that are here, you think you came to Christ. And my prayer is that in these moments you would realize, I didn't come to Christ yet. And this is the moment where I can. Like I got some good language. I open my Bible two or three times a year. I came and I listened to like five sermons last year. What I want is for you to get sold out for Jesus. I want you to see a picture of your brokenness and your sin and your sickness to the point that you humbly come to him and say, Jesus, I deserve nothing, but you gave me everything. Jesus, I deserve death because of my sin, but you died so I could become a family member. You serve me so well in the picture of the cross. I now want to serve you in everything that I think, say, and do. Please change my desires. That's the prayer that I'm praying that every one of us in this room would pray. Some of you, for the first time, a young man came to Charles Spurgeon one time. And he said, man, I'm wrestling with this message. I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen when I preach this message. And Charles Spurgeon goes, well, do you believe that some people are going to get saved when you preach that message? And he goes, well, I don't know. And he goes, then don't preach that message. He goes, don't ever step in the pulpit and preach any message unless you firmly believe that Jesus is going to work through your words and your preaching, your sermon, to bring people to saving, changing, radical faith in Christ. That's my prayer, is that through this message, some of you here would come to that place where you would want to follow him and serve him. Serve him with everything you've got because he served you with everything he had. That's my hope. That's my prayer. Second thing I notice in the text is that when we come to Jesus, it's not just about serving him, but it's also about coming to him as people with great need. Listen, if you don't come to Jesus as a real needy person, then you don't need Jesus. If you catch my drift. 
Like part of life for us is coming to that place where we go, man, I'm broken because of the sickness and the unhealthiness and the chaos of sin that is evident in my life. I need Jesus. It's part of that coming to a humble place where I need him. What stops you from coming to Christ as a person in need? And listen, people who believe that they are clean don't believe they need Jesus. People who believe that they're perfectly healthy don't believe they need Jesus. Can you, can you imagine a person who believes that they smell perfectly fine when in reality they need a really good shower? Does this person really believe that they're in great need of mercy or are they just stuck in the bonds of self-justification? Like, I get myself clean. That's self-justification. Can you imagine a person who believes that they're perfectly healthy when in reality they are terminally ill? Listen, when I look at you, when I look at you and I say I'm struggling to see Jesus in you, what I'm saying is my fear is, is that you're terminally ill, that you're dying, that the fruit and the evidence of your life is not Christ, that the fruit and the evidence of your life is sin. That's what I'm saying. And when I say that, I say that because I want to see you follow Jesus. Does this person who thinks that they're fine when in reality they're terminally ill, do they, do they really believe that they're in great need of Jesus? Do they really believe they're in great need of healing? Or are they just stuck in the bonds of self-help? Like these two problems of self-justification on one side, but I can fix myself, leads into self-help, right? I'm going to help myself. I can make myself just fine here, or I'm going to help myself over here. These two problems are like more barriers to coming to Christ as people in great need. Can we come to Christ as people in great need? We need to come to him as people in great need of mercy. Mercy. Self-justification is the barrier that stops us from believing that we need God's mercy. Instead of seeing ourselves as people in need of mercy, we, we, we wind up seeing ourselves as people with our lists of accomplishments that prove our worth, that prove our value, that prove our goodness. And Luke, Luke, Luke tells us that as Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem, he was, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers. Count them. Ten lepers. He was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Listen, listen, what Jesus was encountering, listen, what Jesus was encountering here was a really unhealthy family. <clears throat> listen to that. Hear this. What Jesus is encountering is a really unhealthy family, a really unhealthy community. Jesus was encountering a sick family of lepers. Lepers weren't allowed to be in relationship with healthy people because they had a serious skin disease. They couldn't live in time with their families. They couldn't enjoy the intimacy of close relationship or physical touch. Imagine that. To be a leper was to be an outcast whom everyone stared at and avoided. Can you hear the desperation? Can you hear the desperation in the voices of these lepers as they call out to Christ? Can you hear the loneliness of their cries? Can you imagine the years of isolation and shame? Can you imagine their feelings of failure and hopelessness? Because true healing had evaded them all these years. 
Can you imagine just their desire for someone to just have mercy on them and extend a healing touch or an encouraging word? Like this is what Christ offers to all who would come to him in great need of mercy. Lepers couldn't fix themselves. The lepers could not justify themselves. They couldn't cover up their shame. They couldn't hide from their shame. They couldn't run from their shame. They couldn't hide their sickness. What these lepers needed most was exactly what you and I need the most. Mercy. Mercy. Our sin, our sin, listen, our sin is like an infectious skin disease. Our sin is like an infectious skin disease. It spreads. It's hard to get rid of. It leaves us in the rotting stench of death. Like our, our sin first creates chaos between us and God. Separation, you might say. It's chaos, really. It's war between you and God, between me and God because of our sin. That's the first thing that gets created. And then second, it's made visible in our relationships with others around us. Like mercy from our Father is what we need the most. Somebody has to hold up the white flag. Like somebody's got to hold up the white flag and say... I will sacrifice myself so that this war can end. That's what Jesus did. Jesus sacrificed himself so that the war between you and I and our Father in heaven can end. And when we truly receive Christ and come to Christ, then what happens is we continuously receive mercy and we continuously extend mercy rather than trying to get what we think we deserve. The cross of Christ is the picture of the Father's mercy for us. Why wouldn't we come to Christ? Why wouldn't we come to Christ crying out for his great mercy? Why would we only do that one time? Why would we not want to just sit under the shower of God's mercy every day? Why would we look anywhere else for hope and wholeness and healing? We must come to Christ as people in great need of his mercy. And we must also come to Christ as people in great need of cleansing. Listen, self-help is the barrier or the wall or the thing which holds us back from believing that we need Jesus to actually cleanse us. Like instead of seeing ourselves as people in need of cleansing, this is what we do. We minimize, we ignore, we excuse, we blame, we hide. We do all of this to our failures and our shame. We blame, we minimize, we hide, we ignore, we excuse all of our shame, all of our failures, all of our sin on external circumstances, right? On external circumstances. Like, my life sucks because I got this infectious skin disease. That's what we do. People have sinned against me. It's all their fault that I feel this way. It's all their fault that I live this way. These lepers could have done that, right? It's because of this skin disease that I have that I act this way. It's not really my fault. God owes me something. He must heal me. Listen, when you live that way, you will constantly be let down. Constantly be let down.
What happens is we wind up jumping from one self-help technique to the next to try to fix ourselves. And Luke, Luke tells us that Jesus doesn't give these lepers another self-help book or another self-help talk show with Oprah or Dr. Phil or their favorite counselor. Instead, he says, when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One commentator on this passage says that the priests effectively worked as public health inspectors and they they had the authority to diagnose people as either clean or unclean. So these these lepers turned, right? They turned when Jesus told them. They turned and headed for their meeting with their caseworkers, their heads hung low as they, and as they did, Jesus does the miraculous. Jesus does the impossible. Jesus does the unthinkable and he cleanses them completely. Why? Because they were obedient. They were obedient to what Jesus said. Why would we want to look anywhere else for cleansing? Why would we want to look to any other place than the cross of Christ? Why would we want anything other than the blood of Jesus, which washes us whiter than snow? The scriptures in Isaiah tells us that though our sins, they be as scarlet, though our hands have made us enemies of God, though our hearts have played the whore, God gave us more than we deserve when he washed our hearts as white as snow. This is the message of the gospel. It's great news. We're people in great need of cleansing because we can't cleanse ourselves. But Christ, who was perfect, came and offers us the cleansing that we need in the shower of his grace. Why would you want to live in any other place other than the shower of his grace? Why would you want your mind to be consumed with anything other than the shower of his grace? Why would you want your heart heart to be consumed with anything other than the shower of his grace? Why would you want your life to be characterized by anything other than the shower of his grace? You see the smile? The reason the smile is there is because that's where I want to live. I want to live in no other place because living in every other place other than the shower of his grace is to live in the garbage heap of my sin. That's where it's to live. I don't want to live there. I don't want to live there. I want to live in the shower of God's grace every single day. When you come to God, when you come to Christ, you've got to come to him as people in great need of cleansing. Think about your thinking patterns. Try that. Come on, somebody laugh. (laughs) Think about your thinking patterns. All right. Thank you. Think about your thinking patterns. Think about the desires of your heart, the habits of your life. We talk about them all the time. Why? Not just because Pastor Joe loves to put these three things together, but because this is what the scriptures speak to. The way you think, the things you feel and desire all flow out in the way that you act and talk and live. (laughs) Amen. Thank you. The reason your lives are a wreck, the reason your lives are a wreck is because you have not come to Christ and asked him to change your desires. Some of you have just looked to me to do that. I'm like, no, sorry, I can't do that for you. Go do this. And you should do what I ask you to do, honestly, really. 
Like, you should. I'm not sad. Trust me. Like, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that because uh, I get like this big kick out of people doing what I ask them to do. No. Hey, when I send you home with some homework, okay, and when I send you home with something to do, you should do it. Why? Because God has placed me as a shepherd in your midst. That's just the gift I have, right? To not do what I've asked you to do is to simply kick God in the teeth and say, nah, I got this taken care of. I don't need the shepherd you put in my midst. Like, I'm not trying to be a jerk about this. I'm just simply saying. I'm not the only one. There's a few of us in here. Okay? We got Brandon, we got Dave, we got Eric. There's a number of us. When we come to you and we say, hey, look, 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 let's talk. Like there's some things in your life and you've got to do X, Y, Z. It's not because we want you to earn God's love. It's because we want you to repent. And then show forth evidence of repentance, evidence of salvation, evidence of Christ. You know how many people are out there posting stuff on Facebook right now all about how Christians are fakes and phonies? You know why they're posting that? Because of what we talked about last week, what we all like to post on Facebook, which is stuff that is not God-honoring and not God-centered, right? So what, what we're pushing for is holiness, repentance, change. That's why we say, hey, you should do this. It's kind of like me asking my son to wash the dishes today. You know, when he gets mad and doesn't want to do it, just refuses to do it. That's not that I got to get mad at him because he won't do what I tell him to do. Like, who cares, right? Who cares if he doesn't do what I tell him to do? The reality is, is I need him to wash those dishes so we're eating off of clean plates. Like, there's a good reason for that. Also, it teaches him a good discipline to do some good hard work, right? Right? So it's the same thing in a church family. When I stand here and I say, think about the thinking patterns in your life. Try that for, for one week. One week, I beg you guys, try it. Like, get a journal. Get a journal and a pen and start writing down, man, I thought this about my wife. Man, I thought this about my husband. I thought this about my friend. I thought this about my pastor. I probably should tell him. <laughs> Write down what you're thinking. And then repent of them. Ask forgiveness. Confess it. Like, start being real. Start being honest. Start thinking about your thinking patterns, the desires of your hearts, the habits of your life. How often do you attempt to justify and defend yourself? How often do you try to just pull yourself up by the bootstraps? Is your mind occupied by how bad everyone else is in light of how good you are? Have you come to Christ as a person in great need? Like, that's my prayer today is that we would come to Christ as people in great need. The challenge is this. When you come to Christ, come to him as a servant. When you come to Christ, come to him as somebody who is in great need. Are you in great need? Do you see your need for Christ? Or do you think you can save yourself? Do you come to him ready to serve Christ? Or do you come to him expecting him to give you something, believing that he somehow owes you something? How are you coming to Christ? How do you come to him? Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for our time together this evening. As we wrap up our time, God, I pray that you would continue to speak to us. I pray, God, that you would bring many to repentance. I pray, God, that you would bring many to true salvation because of this message. I pray, God, that you would help us to be like those lepers who realized our sickness and came to you for healing and cleansing. Lord, I do pray that, like one commentator said, that our faith here at the well, that our faith would not just go skin deep, but it would go soul deep. That you would change our souls, that you would change our hearts, that you would radically change our minds. God, I pray for hurting marriages in our church. 
Lord, I pray that you would bring healing and wholeness and cleansing to them. Lord, I pray for um, hurting families. I pray that you would bring healing and wholeness to them. But I pray that you would release many of us from the shackles of self-help and self-justification and self-focus and help us to find our joy and our satisfaction and our, our happiness in the cross of Christ, knowing that you paid the penalty for us, that you paid it all, that you released us from the bonds of death, that you, you washed us white as snow, that even though our hearts have been like harlots, Lord God, that you have called us home to follow you and to become your children, that you're making us into your bride. God, I pray that you would do that. In Jesus' name, amen. There'll be a couple near the front to uh, serve communion. I say it every week. If you're with us and you believe in Christ, doesn't mean you have to have believed in Christ for 50 years. You could have started believing Christ right now. You could have heard the message of the cross and realized, I am deeply sinful and I am in great need of Jesus. That could have happened right now. If that's you, great. Come, take communion. This is the time we remember his broken body and his shed blood on our behalf so that we could be saved and be made right in front of our Father in heaven. There will also be two near the front to pray with you. If you have any needs, you want to give your life to Christ, uh, you need some healing, you need some help, you need some wholeness, you should come to the front and get prayed for. That's why we offer that. So I just encourage you guys that way. Thanks for letting me preach tonight. Love you guys. Please stand and worship. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.